This episode of Earl Grey is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad, and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. T. L. Gray, hot. It's time for another serving of Earl Grey, our dedicated TNG show. I'm Darren Moser, sitting in the center chair this week, and I'm joined by my co-host Daniel Prue, sitting at Tactical. D- Daniel, can you identify that ship that nearly struck us? Uh, Darren, it's a Soyuz class. I have told you this at least 17 times already. Why can you not seem to remember? Uh, can you hail them, Mr. Prue? Yeah, sure. Again. I'll do it again. Yeah. Well, wait. Oh, it, it's my other co-host, Philip Gilfus. G- Philip, do, do you know what year this is? Why, when I left, it was just uh, Starbase 15, and we were doing the duotronic circuits and playing some 3D chess. Good God, Darren, how many times have I told you what time it is? Well, you might think that we would be reviewing the TNG episode Cause and Effect by this wonderful scene we've portrayed for you. But this beginning actually also takes place in a book that you may have heard me talk about once or a dozen times. Here on Earl Fox World. So today, yes, Fox World. How much for the planet? Uh, is that what it is? A Q in law. No, it's it's Q in law. <laughs> no, no. Today we'll be reviewing the Star Trek: The Next Generation novel, Ship of the Line, by Diane Carey, published in October 1997, a long time ago in this galaxy, actually. So, yes, I I finally broke down and forced my co-workers at Phaser Point to to read Ship of the Line. You know, I'm surprised after, you know, 50 plus episodes, they didn't get the hint and just, you know, pick up the book to to see just what they were missing. But uh, but no, but you don't have to take my word for it. (laughs) That's true. I should have I should have used a more uh, Picard tone instead of instead of Jordy. But but yeah. But no. For the last uh, week or so, I've left you guys copies of the books uh, serendipitously in your in your inbox. And uh, true to to your word, you've uh, read them. And we're gonna talk about this book. So if uh, we will be talking about many aspects of the plot. So if you are not interested in not being spoiled by this, please go pick up a copy. It is book. available. Yeah, yeah, 17-year-old book. Yeah, I don't really feel sorry for you. Although we have, I have probably spoken about it, like I said, over many of the past episodes. But, uh, but first off, I wanted to start with just some perspective. Uh, do you, either of you read a lot of the Star Trek novels or you know, a lot of the expanded universe, I guess as you could call it? Uh, I, I know I've read some, but primarily Ship of the Line. Maybe that's why I quote it so much, is I don't, I haven't read very much else. What about you, Philip? Well, first of all, since we are doing a literary Trek-esque type episode, um, I just want to do a little uh, shout out and, and a little homage to one of those co-hosts. There's not a book on the cover because I read it electronically. No book on the cover to judge. Yeah. Eat it rushing. Um, so anyway, but the, to the question. 
Um, I actually, I don't read a lot of uh, Star Trek novels because, and this, I know everyone's going to, I'm going to say this, everyone's going to be like, oh, that's stupid, Philip, but I'm going to say it anyway. Because it's not canon, canon. I'm like, well, it doesn't matter. Why should I read it? But I, I have read a few novels. Like, I'm looking at my bookshelf right now. I mean, I see Q squared, and I've read Q and Law that we just referenced. Um, and I don't know, I've read probably, before the past three years, I've probably read maybe like 20 books. But I ended up getting all the Star Trek books on my uh, Nook. And so I've been kind of, you know, every now and then I'll pull one out, pull one out. And if I look at my book queue here on my bookshelf, I'll have them sprinkled in. So there have been a you couple of You have a queue in, in your bookshelf? I do. And I also <laughs> like, I do like that when they have like the series that go through all the series. Like in other words, like here's a series and then there's a TOS book and then there's a TNG book and then there's a Deep Space Nine book and da da da. So like I kind of like to, to, to grab those. Like I have Day of Honor, which I haven't read, and that goes through the different ones. So I haven't read a lot, but I've read a little bit. And what about you, Daniel? Is uh, are you like Philip? Is this the second book you've ever read? Uh, I'm actually a huge fan uh, of the extended universe. Uh, all you know from from Grand Admiral Thrawn to the, the you know the Solo twins and the death of Chewbacca. Well, well, wait, wait, no, no, wait. This is uh, I, I think you're a little confused here, Daniel. No, we're talking about Star Trek expanded oh, universe, oh. not Star Wars. Sorry, sorry, sorry. No, actually, the truth be told, I when I was a kid, I was huge into Star Wars extend, uh, Expanded Universe, and I read like 120 or something of those books, and I never got into, uh, I never got into the Star Trek novel world, and the only book that I read, and I read it repeatedly over and over again, and I mentioned, I think once before on the podcast, was a young adult novel about, um, I think there was like a whole Academy, Starfleet Academy series, but I only had one of them and it was about Geordi and he was playing capture the flag on some planet or something. And I want, I read that book like t 10 times. I thought it was fantastic. But besides that, that is the only exposure I have to uh, extended universe Star Trek. Well, I can, I can see what both of you guys mean. I mean, yes, it is a great expansion of the, stories and and sometimes it is hit or miss i mean these are our beloved characters and and friends that we're seeing and you know there's always that risk that they'll be written in a poor way i have a natural for some reason and i don't know what it is i do have a natural kind of aversion to extended star trek canon i think it's because there's so much star trek canon already to like mm. to delve into and remember like and then hundreds and hundreds of episodes yeah. <laughs> it's like hard enough well, to keep one canon straight and then if you add like a second layer of canon on top of it it's like to me it's just too much i just it's just it's just a little too much for me to handle so that i think that's why i've kind of avoided them generally speaking well, and, and i think my approach to to star trek novels is i only and again i know these are just self-imposed rules that everyone's screaming or stupid probably but i don't read anything past canon so, like, I will read anything set before or during, but, like, you know, in other words, the, the, the novels, especially the Voyager and Deep Space Nine, obviously even TNG, that go past, you know, what was the last episodes, you know, that go past um, Nemesis and what you leave behind and Endgame. Like, I don't read any of that because, like, that never happened. I, but, like, anything that was written during the series timelines, I mean, like, okay, I can imagine those happened. So That's true. Post- all good things that's kind of hard to to wrap your head around but fortunately ship of the line doesn't have that issues as it's placed squarely in the middle of next gen so one of the things i really like about ship of the line is that it starts and ends and ties in to a lot of great episodes 
of NextGen. So as we spoke in our intro, this seems almost birthed out of that one tiny role that Kelsey Grammer had in Star Trek The Next Generation as Captain Morgan Bateson in the end of Cause and Effect. Uh, and the f- whole first five chapters of the book is set establishing who Morgan Bateson is, who his crew is, you know, this Soyuz class that was, you know, Miranda, no, not Miranda, <laughs> was... Uh, <laughs> no, I, Mar- I like that. It's totally not Miranda. It's not like we just took the Miranda model, the Reliant, and stuck two things on it. It's, it's totally not. No, that. no. It's Soyuz. <laughs> no, I was going to say, I was going to say marooned and stranded, and it became Miranda <laughs> in time. But, uh, yeah, so... You know, it went from a, this cameo to this major role as the as the part of the story. What did you guys think of the first part of the book that set in Kirk's time, the late, uh, you know, twenty two seventies? This is right around the time I think it's just after the motion picture, but before the Wrath of Khan. Well, they're in the maroon, so it's 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 a little bit after the motion picture. You know, they've they've turned in their onesies um, and and adopted the maroon uniforms. But um, that's true. I mean, it's interesting because I think that is a large part of the movie universe, you know, that can be explored in novels. Like in between motion picture and two, I mean, you, I know you can probably ter- tell me, Darren, what number of years that is, but it seems like there's a lot of time there that you can play with. You know, what happened? The motion picture's seventies ish. So they don't give an actual day, but the Star Trek two is nineteen eighty five or twenty. Sorry, twenty two eighty five. So yeah, that's at least you know five years. Yeah. And so, I mean, I think it's interesting because in the novel here in Ship of the Line, you know, you get like Captain Batson's like, oh, look, it's, it's the Enterprise, of course, right? It's the Enterprise. It's the uh, Enterprise. <laughs> and it's like, oh, it's Captain Spock because, you know, now he's in command of the trainee. And then it's like, oh, well, surprise, Admiral Kirk's on there, of course, because, of course. Now, and Daniel, I don't know, I was kind of thinking of you when I was reading this beginning part because to me, the way the interplay of like the Captain Batson and then his first mate and his. <laughs> Pet octopus. I don't know. Decapus. Um, it's a decapus. I, I know. It's, it's obviously a decapus with ten <laughs> tentacles. I mean, yes. did you even read the book, Philip? <laughs> I mean, they were really clear. There are ten <laughs> legs. Um, but but like it, it's a very informal bridge, and it seemed to be more Star Warsy than Star Trekky. But maybe just Picard runs a tighter ship. I don't know. What what do you, you think, Daniel? It's kind of like the interplay of of they really talk a lot. Yeah, they do. I, there's going to be a running theme f- from me, I think, for for all of my opinions. Like, I see what they did there, and it's a good idea, but then it goes a little too f- like I, like it's split for me. Like, I'm like, okay, I I like that part of it, but then it's like this other aspect of it I don't care for. Like, of course they have to run into Kirk and Spock. Like, like do they have to? Like, does it do anything? It doesn't even add That's to the true. story. I don't. They know. wouldn't actually need to, but it was it was a nice touch. But that, I, I see what you're saying. And especially if you're going to open, like I understand, you're going to open with the scene. You're going to have to have something that's, you know, nobody's going to want to watch Kelsey, you know, Captain Kelsey Grammer or, or read about him. You know, when we don't know anything about him without being drawn in somehow. So it makes sense that they just introduce this 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 element to it, but I'm just like, I'm just reading it and I'm like, Oh, and then of course Kirk just happens to be there and he's going to go beat up the Klingons. <laughs> and it's just like, okay, I get it. I think my favorite part from that beginning part is Spock slamming down a shot of alcohol before he, leaves. I did like that. <laughs> I thought how. that was cool. <laughs> a proper hard, hot, tot. It's like, Oh my gosh, <laughs> Spock can put it away. <laughs> well, One you know, of my you... favorite parts in that 
opening se- sequence was the actual space battle the way it was described the ship just you know because it's a damaged ship at that point and it's trying to compensate and it's you know as the graph plating's not quite you know reacting fast enough as it's swerving around a planetary system i i felt it was really well written like i felt i was on that adventure almost like a ride it, it kind of reminds me of the way picard would describe the stargazer um when he met mm. scotty which more on that later um but you know that it was underpowered and you know ready to fall across the seams you know but but like you, i do like the way that what that, that it was described full of rocks um <laughs> yeah, but like you know that when the when like she writes you know like oh you know they could feel like the power you know going in the ship the last remain like okay you can feel like it is an old time ship that it's you know out there on the frontier that's this small border cutter um, which I don't know if you know but it's based on the National Guard which in the 1800s was oh, okay. <laughs> sorry I'm sorry Philip what yes, does the I... word Philip even mean explain <laughs> to me. <laughs> Yes, Diane Carey loves her wordplay and loves uh, old old ships. Oh my gosh, but... that got really tire, tiresome yeah. really, really quickly. Um, the one other thing that really, like, okay, fine, Kirk and Spock, bring them along, whatever. I, I can get past that. That's not a problem for me. But what, what I, the beginning part, what I had a problem with is we know the state of affairs, I guess you would say, when we first meet him in The Next Generation. Mm. And it's very calm, and it's like... Oh, well, I mean, we we just narrowly avoided death, of course, but but like I see, there's no. It doesn't battle. seem like he just came out <laughs> yeah, of a battle. There's no battle but... damage. He's just like chilling in his command chair. It's like, <laughs> like I didn't feel like he just came from a life or death situation, like barely with a ship in one piece, like it's portrayed in the book. And I'm like, if you're going to try to fit a story in there, and you have three elements that are are like established canon, why do you have to tinker with those? Like. That that was in the back of my mind the whole time. I'm like, okay, why 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 does that just all of a sudden he gets the ship gets fixed when they go through the temporal anomaly? I don't know. It bothered me. It wasn't no, that that's true. That was a, a, a tr- there was it, an, it no, wasn't no. And that's what he's saying. Not at all. It, oh yeah, yeah. No, and that's that's true. Oh, I mean, it did you know strike the Enterprise several times and cause <laughs> it was an effect, at but point, yeah, yeah <laughs> that, which did cause some damage but yeah and another element that I mean she didn't the or Diane didn't address which I mean you don't have to but it kind of stuck in my mind having seen cause and effect I've seen it a lot of times in fact I feel like I've seen it anyway. <laughs> um but that you know three times story three, I was gonna say three <laughs> times <laughs> um but as we all know, in cause and effect, you know, the people start, like, after a while, to be like, hey, deja vu, deja vu. And how many times did they go through it? I don't even remember if they established how many times they went through it. Is it like, two weeks, three weeks, or a month? Yeah. Yeah. But, like, if they were there for yeah, 90 like years, so. there was no deja vu for the for their ship? I, I okay, I, I don't think they were there for 90 years. It's they jumped 90 years through the time, and then the events of cause and effect happened. So I don't think they had 90 years of crashing because the, the Enterprise wouldn't have been there for 90 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think the rules are very well established. I think, And I don't blame the book for that. I actually think it's the episode's fault. Um, kind of? Well, no, because the, the episode kind of lays down the foundation that... that um, oh my god, what's the name of the ship? Bozeman. Bozeman, thank you. That the Bozeman has been trapped in a causal loop. The Bozeman 1, you mean? For, yeah, oh yeah, well that's so we'll get into that later. But <laughs> but it, it does it, no because he says 
we've been trapped in this for for two weeks and we think something similar has been happening to you for all this time so um that's true it does i never felt like they were stuck in it though i felt like it was it was basically a time portal and it trans because it because they one they ended up in a different place you know and two they ended up in a different time so it's almost like a like a temporal rift and then when they ended up and and then the event of them crashing near the rift is what created the small time loop it's like two two forces of nature happening at the same time one was what propelled them into the future and then the other was the loop that the enterprise experienced that's how i came came away with it and I see what you're saying, Darren. And because anti-time works differently than normal time, the effects would travel backwards the space-time continuum. Uh, that, that yeah. We got no time to talk about the time. That, this isn't the time. That was not a huge stumbling block to me because the episode is kind of sloppy in the way it presents it as well. And so I just accept it and I'll just go with it. Um, that's fine. Well, and, and I don't know. I don't mean to jump ahead, Darren. Um, but, like, I, the part in the book I, – I was a little confused at this part of the book – and I don't know, maybe it was just me or just how you can interpret it, but like when Batson comes on board the Enterprise and is meeting with Picard, yeah, the transition. There's like this, there's like this moment of like, are we in the past or the future? And I couldn't tell whether Picard and Riker definitely knew that they were still in the 24th century. If there was a moment of doubt, and Batson was just kind of looking like an idiot, thinking like, "Well, you boys look like you're stuck in the past here. Don't worry." And they're like all smiling and like, "Oh God, he totally doesn't know what's going on right now." <laughs> Yeah, it, it seemed like I mean, because that's where it definitely started to write its own story. After that point, that's, that's basically the cause and effect has ended, mm-hmm. and now we're telling the story of Bateson, you know, beaming over, and yeah, it, and it, you know, I can kind of see that. I mean, especially with how many times the Enterprise has been dealing with weird time stuff going on, being like, okay, let's double check, you know, and he has Riker. That's what he has Riker do. Yep. He's like, you know, check a time based beacon, which they had just done. You know when they reset their clocks yeah, anyway, <laughs> but so double, double check. Uh, yeah, it's double double check. Uh, double check data. You know, <laughs> I like that but, though. I mean, except for what you just mentioned, Darren. Besides the fact that obviously they just checked a time buoy in the episode, but I do like the fact that it's like, oh, hey, who knows? We we're dealing with time here. We could have been thrown in the past, and that's just yeah. as real a possibility. And it was a cool I, little element. I felt as they added it though. It, it, yes, it was creating like a bit of false drama, but it was also more to really make you start to empathize with yeah. Bateson of what he was going through. Because, and I think they were setting up more how they're describing to be thrown forward in time is worse because you just you yeah. cannot you you can't leave a message. You know, you can't you can't Doc Brown. A message through the uh, you know Western well, Union for Marty to pick well, up like it's just it's not going to work. And, and I felt there was another stumbling block, block, and I don't blame the book. I blame Star Trek because there's this part where Morgan's <laughs> like, um, "Well, can we get back?" And McCart and Riker kind of look at themselves, going like, "Well, let's see." There was a time the Enterprise went back to the 1960s yeah. because internet. Um, and then there was the time, um, no, there's no way you can go back in time except the 58 million times we've done it in TOS and TNG. And <laughs> I mean, he did state that it was possible. It's just not yeah. like precise unless you're Kirk going to ni- the 1986 <laughs> to get the whales. But you know, that well, hadn't happened yet. Well, uh, but you know, well, what's, sorry, that hadn't happened it for had because yet. that's what they Gosh, now I'm getting all confused <laughs> with time travel. 
You know, and I don't like. I really don't want to derail this conversation any further for you, uh, Darren. But I just want to. I wanted to bring this up at some point, and this makes sense to bring it up now, um, because because uh, Riker is the one having the inner monologue about how much worse yes. it is to to go travel through the through, into the future than it is into the past, and it was around that time that I at first I started to notice this, and I don't know why. But I noticed that at first I thought it was, oh, this, this book is told entirely through uh, first officers because it starts off mm, with, uh, it starts with off with, 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 with yep. With and Gabe. then it goes to Riker and then it goes to, um, oh, and also the Klingon first officer. The Klingon first officer. Yeah. What? And then I of course, but then it, until you said this, it, but, it, but it's interesting because it actually yeah, shifts. That's, that's a really good point. It shifts later on in the book because Picard also gets some, some narrative time. And it seems like that's true. Yeah, it seems, and I and I kind of thought about it, and it seems like whoever is in charge of the situation, we never get their perspective. We always get the person right below them that has to mm. experience everything and learn everything. And but it was very deliberate. I felt, and it's one of the few times when I'm reading literature that I've noticed, like that's this true. is why are we jumping from person to person here? Why is it Riker? Why is who is telling us the story? Yeah, because yeah, it's not Cause he... third person. It's it's. It's from a perspective. Yeah. Yeah, because even in the Picard scenes, technically Kirk is in charge in those scenes. Yeah, exactly. Or, or the captain of the exactly. Half Moon, you know, who's who's really, you know, right. he's flying the ship. He's Picard's just a passenger at that point. That's funny. Yeah. No, that that's a cool. That's a great observation, Daniel. Well, Daniel's winning the episode so far, <laughs> Philip. That's an observation of the line. <laughs> Anyways, I just thought, Not to be confused was, with observations no, no, of the line. That's a calendar. <laughs> so the first, what I call, there's three main plots of this book that are woven together. So the first plot is obviously, you know, the Bozeman being thrust through time. Then we snap jump to after the destruction of the Enterprise D. So this is after oh. generations. Yeah, everyone sheds a collective tear. Uh, but this is before the events of First Contact. So we've jumped from uh, 23... Uh, what is it? Seven. Yeah, we've jumped to jumped to we're we're in twenty three seventy one right now. Oh, I was gonna say that. Um, yeah. So we went from twenty three sixty eight, which was cause and effect year, to twenty three seventy one. Uh, it's easier to say that than star dates because who can really tell what those are? Uh, anyway, but this was a really interesting plot too. So I call this the um the construction of the Enterprise E and just Picard's doubt. Yeah. That was a really interesting take on the overall story is, I mean, we, we deal a lot with Picard and like the Borg and, you know, him dealing with that situation. But I, this was an interesting take on Picard dealing with the loss of his ship and, you know, is the whole gang going to stay together? And I mean, it was really interesting seeing like the crew is all like, yes, it's ours. And, and it's like, no, it's not. So what did you think of this second plot, uh, Daniel? Uh, I agree. Like it was a unique perspective and I actually, uh, I appreciated it. And, and while I don't see it, I don't, you know, because it's a book, it's separate from the TV show and the movies and I have to keep it that way. So I don't know if I could see it actually becoming, um, officially canon or whatever. I, I know right. that's silly. Canon, canon aside, the, right, the, right, the right. how the story was, but presented, I do, I, guess, I liked it. I, I, and I think what they, I think what was brilliant about it, well, probably my favorite part about it was, that not only does it, it, it address one of the one of the I think we talked about this one time 
on the show, and I can't remember what the topic was, but we talked about how Kirk loved his ship. And um, Picard, maybe we didn't feel like it was the same kind of thing. And, and that interesting interplay when they were talking to each other. And Picard realizes a ship is more than a ship. Like, this is your home. This is what protects you. This is what, what makes you safe. And I, I like that it takes Picard from Generations uh, and, and then sets him up completely for first contact. I like that. I think it was really well set up. And even though I have some problems with like maybe the, some bumps along the way, I actually, I actually thought it was very, very, very well thought out. What about you, Philip? This whole, either the construction of the E, I, I mean, canon or not, I, I think originally it was not Starbase 12 where it was built, but you know, I give them leniency for that. I mean, they can, they can write that into it. Well, but what did you think of this, this part of the story? Well, for one thing, I couldn't tell. Like, they basically said, like, okay, they built this new ship, but, like, was it always going to be the Enterprise? Or was it, like, they're building this new ship and, oh, you got destroyed, now we're going to name it the Enterprise? Because I thought they never made that clear. It was the it was the latter, which, yet even if they maybe didn't make it clear, I, I read on Memory Alpha for this story that, yeah, it's, it's the same thing as, like, the Defiant, where, like, there was a Sovereign-class ship that had already been built or was being finished or... or or even midway in design and you know the enterprise gets destroyed and so okay what's the next one going to be let's what next class do we want to give this designation to now whether or not picard would go to that ship is a different story but yeah and then starfleet says okay we're going to make this the enterprise now and it's going to be the e and but yeah i don't it wasn't as clear no 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 there there is a line in the there is a line in the book where they say um when when Captain uh, Batesman says, uh, two years ago when I joined this project, before we knew it was going to be called Enterprise. Mm, that's so right. So they, they very clearly state that, that it was not an int- originally intended to be the Enterprise. It was just USS and so name, There you go. And they were just waiting to the paint. Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> it I, I think... had, had, had a pull tab and you had to, like, you know, <laughs> fill in the blank. It was like the bubbles. Yeah. So they, they put the decals well, on the ship, and it was like pens <laughs> and pencil instead of pen, so they could go out and erase it if they had to. Well, I mean, I I think this was a weak part for me because I really didn't like the Picard characterization. I mean, I really didn't, and maybe that's just me because I feel like there were bits, nuggets there that I did like, but I I felt like the execution wasn't that good. I don't think Picard would be this existential, honestly. Um, he I mean, does I think, get pretty existential, but yeah. Well, I mean, I, I feel like. Well, let me rephrase that. I think he would have some issues because I think having lost the Stargazer, which, which they talk about in the book, and then having lost the D, mm-hmm. especially him not being in command, I think there, that he would have some feelings of um, guilt, guilt-ish omnis, or, or at least like some, you know, like, oh my gosh, I've lost two ships. I mean, <laughs> what, you know, two commands, two, two dead ships. Um, so, but I, and they do have that in the book. But I think this whole, like, do I even want to be a captain anymore? I'm like, I don't think he would actually do that. Um, you know, and this whole, like, Riker having to buck him up. And, I mean, ah, I don't know. I, I, I have to disagree, though, because I think, unlike, so it's weird, right? Because in the movies, uh, Kirk immediately accepts the Admiralty. I'm just so happy you guys are debating <laughs> Ship of the Line. And my dreams have come true. Dance, my puppets. <laughs> <laughs> in the movie no, Kirk ahead. accepts Admiralty. I mean we don't see it obviously, but he accepts yeah. Admiralty very willingly very quickly. And you would think that it would be the opposite, right? You would think Picard, I think Picard, in my opinion Picard is more that guy. He's more going to be the guy that would sit behind a desk and 
and mm. more at least more than Kirk. I'd Slip say. into the admiral's shoes. Yes, yeah. and it's interesting mm. that Kirk apparently you know accepts it readily and then gives it up as soon as possible. And Picard is more like, oh, I don't know. Like, what do I do? I I I didn't think that was super out of character for him, especially since. Um, especially since he wasn't in command at the time. And, and you know, Picard is a little older this time. Well, but I think if you look at it in light that if this just happened after Generations, what speech did we get? Don't let them promote you. Don't let them transfer you. Don't let them do anything <laughs> that takes you off the bridge of that ship. Because why? Well, yeah, make it. I mean, so, like, you know, having it That's done true. that with Kirk, now he's like, I don't want to be a captain anymore. So. And then he has to go back to Kirk to get advice again. I know. <laughs> so. That's true. I'd forgotten he'd had actual conversations with actual Kirk, not just holographic Kirk. Well, but. in a way, this book also slaps generations because like regular, like, we only got to say like two lines to him. So it really wasn't that much of a conversation. I killed him. That was pretty much. <laughs> but I also didn't, I mean, and I don't, I don't want to skip ahead, but I'll say like his interactions with Kirk, I also thought were out of characterization because Kirk's like, oh my gosh, I never knew you actually had feelings and thought about i'm like what, what What the heck really you never thought kirk had feelings about his ship you just thought he was this i don't know what you thought anyway yeah are we talking about well, this yet or yeah no? let, yeah well let's jump to that part and then we'll swing back around for the klingon part okay. but so later on uh basically picard is not given the enterprise e it's given to morgan bateson everyone's jaws hit Awkward. the floor and, <laughs> and uh, Picard's given another mission. Now, this is a really part, again, I love the all the little strings and elements that is pulled into this story. So I love that they bring it back to um, the, uh, the two-parter chain of command and the part where Picard has been captured by the Cardassian uh, Madrid. And so he is put on a mission to go behind enemy lines again. Again. You know, and... Again, and because you know, it worked out so well the first time, uh, and so anyway, so he's on his way, you know, on this mission. And Riker, Mister Number One, through the story, as I mean, we now determined, Mister Riker, he uh, gives Picard these uh, holographic simulations of Kirk recounting his mission from uh, Balance of Terror and uh, Enemy Within. Yeah, Balance of Terror. Yeah, uh, basically and enemy the within. original series. <laughs> Yeah, basically the original series. Like, Here's well, your Blu-ray set the DVDs. You <laughs> is what happened. Is, is basically what happened. Oh, this is so much more than a Blu-ray film. <laughs> but yeah, well, what did you guys think of this part? I mean, again, it was uh, I, you know, to 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 build off of Phillips. You know, was Picard really like? Oh, you know, you, are you a larger than? Is was Kirk a larger than life figure, or was he more of a? Did, hadn't he already gotten that out of his system in generations as he saw him chop wood and you know, make life decisions. But what did, what did you think of this portion? The whole, uh, ref, the, the Blu-ray, the, the, the TOS Blu-ray part, Daniel. Oh, oh, it's a, a very clearly a plot device. Like, so well, yes. trans, yeah. I mean, and which is fine, but it's like, it's like fan service and plot device all crammed into one. So like, <laughs> it's really hard for me to read. I can't these. lose. <laughs> it's hard for me to read these pages and not roll my eyes the entire time, especially because <laughs> like, I-, I like parts of the book, but like this person is just tr- taking the tra- this transcription of the, of the, of the scripts and just play pasting them onto the page. Like, Oh, that <laughs> must Daniel, be an easy writing, writing deadline. You. And you can write about half your novel without having to write anything. Look, I'll do it. 
if it was like maybe if it was like they came up with new adventures that we had never seen in that era that would have been cool that would have been really and maybe a, a, an interesting challenge creatively i don't know but uh, i don't that know that could have been another way to go i i i, I like he, what comes are you out saying and I, are you saying Picard should have pulled up the Red Shirt Diaries and watched Ensign Williams' adventures? <laughs> <laughs> but those are still talking about the exact same episodes. The exact too. same episodes. <laughs> it's nothing just, else happened in TOS apparently it's ever. So it, like it's it's it reads just like fan fiction, and that's why it's hard to take it seriously as actual canon because I'm like, of course he goes and it's a special kind of hologram where they only respond to questions and like <laughs> it's exactly the plot of the episode but kirk the, happened to write down his feelings in his feelings it's the journal. blu-ray special edition like behind and, the scenes feature obviously it's got captain kirk and commentary riker. that's what it is yeah and, and riker happened to get a holodeck installed in like five minutes five on the civilian freighter <laughs> hey Okay, apparently, well, we we didn't mention it yet, but Scotty was around, so he's apparently a miracle worker, so I am not, yeah, that was a little bit of a stretch even for me, but, you know, it's like, Montgomery, Scott, what are you doing here? It's like, what are you doing here? (laughs) One one quick thing that I did appreciate about those scenes was was Picard's, uh, his realization at the difference between him and Riker's uh, relationship and Kirk and Spock's relationship. I thought mm. that was interesting, and it was really cool to see it from that perspective. Um, otherwise, uh, I, I like what they did. Those scenes, I, it was fine, but I just I couldn't take them seriously. They just read like 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 Fanon, I guess. You know? Well, well I will it's say, always though, tricky. I, I, I'm just gonna say real quick, Phil. It's always tricky though because in the medium of the book, I mean, everything's always gonna be very in your head. Because yeah. it's it's you know you you can't show it you almost have to tell it, but uh, but but go ahead, Philip. What are, what were your thoughts well, was, on the I was say, Blu-ray I mean, holodeck have, uh, <laughs> edition? I, I do. Have, I was and then Barclay showed up for no reason, and Picard's like, "What are you doing here?" And he's like, "Oh, oh sorry, what are Mom, you doing Mom here?" Door. <laughs> That'd um, be crazy. But anyway, <laughs> but I, I, it does have. My Did you have this line. room booked at this time? I'm sorry. I just. What are you doing on the half moon? It's not Why even... is that woman in a red skirt and yellow beehive on your arm for? Uh, anyway. Or he starts up the um, program and it's just Barclay standing there with his arms folded. Welcome, Captain into Barclay's it's like he wrote the program anyway that's giving him too much credit. <laughs> but, but but this does have my favorite TOS scene in it though because um, I know a lot of people like Balance of Terror for like the whole submarine but my favorite part is actually what they showed in, in here of McCoy and Kirk because it's also very reminiscent of the Menagerie with Dr. Boyce mm. and Captain Pike if, if anyone has seen oh, yeah. the original pilot of, of, I mean, because I love those, because it also comes from left field, but I do love it. Like, you know, Kirk's like, you know, they all look at me, Bones, and and what if I'm wrong? And then Bones, I won't do the whole speech, because I, I, but, you know, this is my favorite, yeah. favorite thing of Bones telling Kirk, you know, just don't destroy Kirk. That, that is my, one of my favorite scenes from TOS. Yeah, that, that was a really good, good scene. And, and, you know, that's, it's interesting because, you know, you know, Dan would be able to write from TOS and TNG and all the, I mean, you know, there's so many different the elements from so many different times. I know, yeah. She, <laughs> she could put and, in. Uh, put and in I anything, think it's the biggest problem with the story is that, like, they just feel like the need to shove as much as we already know into it. And it's like, mm. why can't you just make something up? It's like a huge well, universe. Just do what you got. Its do. greatest strength of pulling all these threads together is also its greatest. Exactly. Weakness. Indeed. 
but like a tapestry if you pull one of those <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh <laughs> But that's true. I, I, I mean, the, it could have gone overboard and started I'm surprised to incorporate every. Yeah, that's true. Why, that's why wasn't he there at some point? I figured he would. <laughs> well, look, it was it was so bad that they had war. Maybe Q's caused caused the temporal rift, <laughs> and that got him <laughs> exactly. But it, it was so bad they had war. Like explicitly, like there's a line of dialogue, like. Well, you know, Picard's going on this thing. I'll go grab war from Deep Space Nine. Like, why? And then, like, <laughs> yes. okay, well, why not? Sure. You know, why not? Um, and then he grabs Worf, and apparently we've, we've gotten Scotty, we've gotten Bat, we've got so many people, Worf isn't even allowed to speak any lines. Throughout this whole novel, you just <laughs> see him. Like, why'd you even go and get, you literally just not it's say It's the same movie paradox, word. there's too many people, and no one gets to say anything. Well, okay, now, the side plot that we see through a lot of this is the Klingon side, where from the TOS era to nowadays, we're introduced to Kozara, who is basically the direct foil to Morgan Bateson, and he's been in exile for 70-odd years. Yeah, Butterfly and Bulldog, that's his his tramp stamp, so that's, uh, (laughs) but... uh, Those are their AI Yeah, so what did you guys think? Oh, yeah. And he's got his little animated GIF, uh, or GIF, whatever. But what did you guys think of the the Klingon aspect of its telling? I mean, we've seen a lot of T, you know, in TNG of of explaining warrior culture, and I, I thought it was an an interesting take. Just you know, this these aren't the Galrons and the Durasses. This is the down on his luck. Like he's had a kind of bad time at it, you know. And what, so what did you guys think of Kozara, his character, and, again, the first officer explaining, you know, what's going on, you know, to, to Daniel? Uh, again, this is just the common thread. There's uh, there's bits about this I like and a lot that I don't. I, I Like, I, I'm actually in my rewatch of Deep Space Nine right now where, essentially, this this takes place. This part of the, of the story takes place where the Klingon Empire has now uh, you know, attacked Cardassia. And uh, mm. has 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 kind of broken political ties, diplomatic ties with the Federation, and I actually don't like that aspect of Deep Space Nine. I felt it was like a stopgap measure. I just feel like it's just padding because they didn't really want to move forward with the Dominion storyline and like, what else could be a good bad guy temporarily until we fix things? And it's like, what about oh, those Klingons? What about those Klingons? <laughs> They're not doing anything. So like, I've always had a problem with that in Deep Space Nine, and uh, the fact. Like, I like this Klingon character. Um, I like that he's an old-school Klingon, but he does learn Literally. from his years of hardship and, and <laughs> exile. He learns. It is nice that their species lives a lot longer. It, <laughs> it is. To... It's very convenient. <laughs> 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 and um, the one thing that really bothered me about his character is the very ending. Mm. When he just all of a sudden decides to give up completely <laughs> and, like, oh, you can have your ship back now. Like, fine. It's, it's, I get he wouldn't want to like terrorize Cardassio Prime, but the fact that he's like, eh, we're buddies now. We're just friends. It's great. Like, I hate my son, so I love you. Yeah. <laughs> I I, the enemy of my son is my friend. Or <laughs> yeah. That's a Klingon proverb. <laughs> what did you think, Philip? Um, I, I thought it was good. For, you know, for a moment I was like, is it really plausible that he could live this long? But I'm like, eh, Deep Space Nine said Korg Kang lived, and they were, they were TOS ones. And I mean, this is a TOS movie. The TOS guys live that long. I'll, I'll accept the TOS movie guys have lived this long. It's fine. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, it was interesting. I'm like, I, like Daniel has said before, Klingons aren't usually my 
I mean, I don't hate them, but they're usually not my thing. But but I did like it. I think it made sense. Um, in fact, I mean, I think I liked. The, the, to me, the Klingons made more sense in some way than um, Morgan and his drunken crew um, of, of this <laughs> motley crew of the USS yeah. <laughs> Fun Times. Yeah, because I mean, because I, I think some of their um, attitudes about Klingons. I mean, the whole debate he has with Riker for. Apparently, fifty percent of the book. I don't know for some oh, reason. Oh man, that they they did not. They went at it. Yeah, which I thought <laughs> right on the bridge way, with everybody listening. Way, yeah. way too long. I'm like, what's going on at Madrid Colony? Come on, anyone? Can yeah. move the camera. Um, anyway, but um, we so, need a commercial break, and we need it now. <laughs> so, but I did like the Klingon story, though. I mean. And again, I, this I can't fault the book because TNG and other shows do this so much. Like I think they took the E a little too easily. Like when you're like beaming stuff down on the Enterprise E, I'm like, why don't you just beam a torpedo and kill everyone and be done with it if you can do that? But anyway, so I thought the ship was taken a little too easily, but whatever, I'll I'll accept that. Um, but no, I thought I thought the Klingon everything was everything was being installed the second on Tuesday, t- Philip. It was not until next Tuesday that they were getting shields and all this other stuff. Come on. Well, and this is the second time that. An Enterprise with Riker on the bridge during a war game. I mean, (laughs) he should know this ship is super easy to take over during a war game. In his defense, he he was protesting a lot. He was. He was like, I don't want to do war games anymore. I've I've, I've been down I had a bad experience. The Ferengi. (laughs) It was was no good. Yeah. Also, I did have a question. And Mm -hmm. this, I don't want to nitpick. But I feel like they made a Klingon neutral zone reference. I'm like, what neutral zone? Yeah, they did. They said that the the Typhon expanse was right there. Oh, uh, was there. was on the neutral zone. But remember, yeah. there is no neutral zone. Remember? Yeah. That's right. The Klingons in this time period. They, oh, sorry. <laughs> um, but yeah, can, well, can, I just do want to talk about, and I, I don't, you, Darren, you just hit me if this is a, a change of topic, but like the whole Riker-Batson debate on the bridge yeah. in front of everyone for, I don't I know, I mean, this is what ready pages. rooms were built for, but hey, why not, you know? I mean, I just thought that would never happen. It's interesting. I thought Riker was written a little loosely. I mean, they had to make Riker kind of the voice for the TNG crew because, you know, if you had everyone saying their little piece, you know, like Worf, you know, then, then, you know, it would just be hard to move the plot along. Well, he didn't say anything. Exactly. That's why, because we we didn't have time. But, uh, but yeah, that, that scene where he's, you know, just having it out with, with Bates and, and and then when Basin just like sucker punches him with, by the way, I built your dead ship into this one, you know. Uh, but yeah, it was. I mean, I enjoy I enjoyed the 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 repartee like back and forth, but I can see it how it did kind of extend for a couple of chapters. <laughs> yes. I'm like, is, is the ship what, moving during this part? We've like traveled a couple <laughs> sectors by the time this argument ends. I'm just... Well, Riker, do you know where the word enterprise actually comes from? <laughs> well, it had a Z back in the day. <laughs> and he kept asking him, I mean, do you want to mutiny? Is that what you're saying? Or do you want to mutiny? Is that what you're he did, to do? He did, yeah. He, he <laughs> I had a simple like one-track mind. I thought it was an interesting scene. Um, and I, I, you know, not perfect, but it, it, it sets up the differences between the time periods. Very, I think that's, a, that's the mm. point of that scene is it's like not just between the Klingon and the Federation, not just between old Federation and new Federation, but between it's, people and, and command styles and like every aspect of Star Trek that we know, it kind of hammers home. Hey, you know what? 
Kirk and and Picard probably wouldn't get along. They would definitely not see things eye to eye, you know, and because we only got them five minutes together in Generations, we never saw that. But you know, it's it's very different. The only time they worked you know? together, one of them died. I mean, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> we are working together. <laughs> <laughs> Make help me make a difference. I don't care if you die over there. <laughs> I just like, want my eggs. And they had, and but, I do like how Riker and Batson had their beard off. He's like, you know, one of those they are did. Soft, like, right? Oh yeah, it's like what? <laughs> yeah, do you, I mean, do give you know it a couple more years, and he would from. shear it off. <laughs> yeah, gosh. <laughs> I know. I felt like you know Beverly was going to stand up and go. Did you know about the um, uh, express train? That oh god, <laughs> that would have been great. Orient Express. Oh my god, that just makes my that makes my day. That would have been so funny from the middle of their argument. And he's like, talking about and, he actually, and she actually knows more about it than Basin, <laughs> and just he's just like, why are you bringing up this? Rent? And they all look at him like, are you serious? I don't know. Are you serious? <laughs> have you heard of the Orient Express? Uh, <laughs> oh, but yeah, no, that was. A, that was another great great aspect of the the book um but it, so the the end of the uh the third plot as i call it is picard and the madrid villages which is is kind of in two parts it's we see uh the this these crews of you know a couple of starfleet ships and a couple of you know civilian ships that have been placed in these villages which is pulled out of history i mean there there were you know there there are nations on our planet have done this where you you take a a people and you see how they react under different situations to better train your people. And although they didn't have transporters and, you know, phaser rifles, which makes it a little easier that you know of. But uh, what did you guys think of this part where, you know, you have, it's like an old villain returns, which, you know, again, you know, it could have been anybody, but it had like, maybe they're trying to tug at Picard's heartstrings. But uh, besides what Philip said early on with, you know, it just, Yes, here, look, is an exciting part with these people, and we won't come back to them for about uh, eight chapters. But Darren, Picard uh, doesn't have heartstrings. <laughs> he has tubes that connect to the, anyway. The, 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 the Jovian heart, or whatever they call it. <laughs> Model 12. Go, uh, go ahead, Dado. What were your thoughts on, uh, on the, the Madrid villages? By far the weakest, the weakest part of, of this book. Like, the entire purpose of this narrative device is for Kirk to meet Picard again in some construed way. That's the that is the only reason this to get him off the Enterprise and to and to like because he's obviously questioning should he be on the Enterprise and to interact with Kirk in a way. So like there's an entire chapter devoted to these two brothers and there's this other captain and like I don't care <laughs> at all like because they never come back to it. I don't it's know McGuffin. their name like. Yeah, yeah, it is a MacGuffin, yeah. It was the MacGuffin. (laughs) Was it a Horcrux? Um, Was that what it was, Daniel? (laughs) (laughs) It's just so blah and... Like, we could have skipped four or five chapters of the people on the planet, of of Gull Madrid, of his daughter. Like, we don't need... This book is very jam-packed. We could have easily spread this out. That's true. Picard could have been on the holodeck on, say, the Enterprise or the Starbase. He didn't necessarily have to be en route to... It was just that one more thread of, let's tie together Chain of Command. Because... Yeah, and I think that's just one thread too hmm. much for me because that was the part where I was rolling my eyes the most, and I was like, "There's no purpose to this." Like, and and then they make a big deal. Picard gives this rousing speech on the planet, huzzah, freedoms, 
let's all get to our scout ships and <laughs> yeah. do nothing because they'll give up every time <laughs> well, we show up. Like, I, just, well, I think the thing about like you know he he and skip ahead. You know, he's so like this this planet that all these Starfleet and civilians have been fighting. You know, they're they're dead tired. They're like you know. One arm is almost off or something. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, hey, everyone want to go into battle? No, we're tired and hungry. No, we don't want to go into yeah. battle. That's stupid. Like, pick it. You're going to manage the ship. allies you're rescuing a concentration camp, yeah. and they're like, hey, would you like to jump into these tanks and help us, you know, <laughs> I mean, help us defend much. the Nazis? Yeah, basically is what he's saying. Yeah. Uh, but I also felt, again, with the Picard characterization, I didn't buy the whole him talking to Gal Madrid because also Gal Madrid wasn't that much of a villain because like, he was literally literally behind the desk the entire time so it's like he's an administrative villain basically you know he's not out there doing so he's saying he wasn't pairing pants <laughs> for all we know um, <laughs> but this whole technically he was behind the desk pretty much his entire yeah. encounter this time as yeah. well that was I a mean, until he jumped he in front of the, off the bomb desk. but yeah <laughs> which I thought was. <laughs> I mean, that's like the doctor with a jammy dodger. I've seen it, okay? You know, it's um, – <laughs> I, I just thought that whole, like, Picard toying with Gal Madrid for, like, eight, eight pages was just like, he would never do that. Um, I mean, I do like the concept of the daughter being a spy and all that stuff. I mean, that made sense to me, but I thought it was a little drawn out. And also, I actually would have like. I know Daniel said he didn't like it. I would have liked to learn more about those people and the fight they were doing. But like, it's like like Daniel said, like okay, they're brothers. And we're gonna give all these complex relationships and then ignore them till the end, to the last two pages. I'm like, well, if you're gonna do all that detail, like, you know, <laughs> not just ignore them, but like when Picard shows up on the planet, you could literally have cut out that entire chapter that establishes what they were doing there completely and just said they're prisoners of war. And then just that's it. One line could or like that or a paragraph chapter. that's like you know about the that morning's yeah. rations, and then oh look, someone beamed in today. Yeah, oh, yeah. that's true. Exactly, and it's like why you're like why it doesn't make any sense. Well, the the last aspect of this is the retaking of the Enterprise E, uh, slapstick style oh, gravity God. plating. Uh, I Who mean, do that? I mean. I know. Hey, who would attack by know, taking the gravity off? That would be some twisted mind that would plan that <laughs> if they were stranded on an alien ship. Hey, that might have happened in our RPG. I'm just saying, I might have gotten the idea <laughs> from somewhere. But no, I mean, this is so. Again, this is the oh, that's right, Scotty's here. Uh, kind of moment again for me. <laughs> um, but and it was an interesting aspect. I mean, you have the the recollection, the not recollection, but the you know. Riker and and Bateson bury the hatchet, as it were. But what were your your thoughts on this last act of the of the story, Philip? Uh, okay, just a few things. One, I love how the the Deuce Ex Machina for this is Scotty, like because it totally makes sense. Okay, well, a I don't actually doesn't make sense. They should have just fired the crew out of the skate pods or something, not kept them in the ship. But anyway, let's accept it for the they're fact. Klingons. I mean, they just well, they would have killed them then. But anyway, um, that's true. So, but anyway, okay, we're stuck. There's no way, and, like, Scotty just, like, gets up. Let me get this. Boom, there. We're gone. Like, like, what the crack? It's not but, even but, And also the He's second. like, hold, hold my cheeseburger. Hold my cheeseburger. I got to go push these three buttons. Do, do you ever read the manual, Mr. Riker? And then the second thing, there is literally, listeners, I am not making this up. There is literally a Klingon fart joke in this book. 
it, the sound is off. They make a stink bomb, and they're like they're watching the Klingons on the view screen. And they're like one Klingon looks at the oh, other yeah. and points. The other Klingon says no and points at the other one. Like really, you <laughs> smelt it, you dealt it. That's what's going on right now. Oh my gosh. What were your uh, thoughts, Daniel, of this uh, this last foray into the Enterprise? I. I, I, I I wish it was visual. I, I like I like the idea of playing with the gravity to mess with people, but reading it, I was so confused. Like Riker's in a doorway, and people fall through the doorway, and then they're all confused. He's sticking his head out, not, and it feels like doorway. it's twisted ninety like, degrees, but not. Yeah, like I just I just didn't understand well, what was happening. It's like, but I like the idea that like the Klingons have blown up outpost. That we think they may or may not have destroyed this other ship, but let's attack them with a sense of humor. <laughs> but it's like, what? <laughs> I mean, that was that, that line was silly, but like the fact that if you have control of the, over the gravity plating, they, they, there's a line in the book where they're like, your muscles don't matter at that point. <laughs> like, it's who cares? You can have a sword. You're not going to kill anybody because you're you can't put your feet right. on the ground. An old lady and, with like, a I phaser could cool. totally take out an army of Klingons with batliths, like. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, and and I wish, and that's why, like, it's so hard to translate that to words. Mm. And I don't know if it was done very effectively because I couldn't follow it very well. Uh, but I like the idea, and um, and so that was cool. And I guess you're right. I guess you're right, Philip. There was kind of a a stink joke there, <laughs> which was kind of lame. But so there's again, there's parts that I really like, and parts that I'm just like rolling my eyes at. And can't I'm like, if you could just like do like gas that knocks everyone out. That wasn't the first choice. It's like, no, let's freeze the corridor, make them slip down, and have this banana peel. I mean, like, <laughs> yeah, that was silly. That was what we're doing here. So at the very end, the uh, intrepid crew takes back the Enterprise E. Picard shows up, battle rifle at the ready, and is disappointed. <laughs> he doesn't get to shoot Klingons, apparently. Uh, you know, Data's there to say lock and load, I guess. But uh, you know, but the crew of the Bozeman gets. Okay, this was this is this is the hardest part for me. I maybe there should have been other parts, but they get the Bozeman two, but they also oh, put God. the A at the end, and I'm like, are we been a little redundant that it's the second ship? Because I I mean, if it was like the Enterprise, wouldn't it just be called the Bozeman and then A? Like otherwise, yeah. this would be like the Enterprise V. <laughs> you know <laughs> with dash no, D. I, it's like that's it's like come on starfleet you're better than this like the record clerk was just asleep at the wheel you know when he made this decision but i just i don't understand there has to be someone okay and it's another sovereign i, I don't know ship. I, I, yeah is it really it's another so, it's that another true? So, i had no it's idea another sovereign crazy. class ship because that's what they all so, know <laughs> Oh, that's true. I guess that makes sense. Uh, to me, though, no, they give him a random class. It's like really, it's really <laughs> embarrassing. They give him an Excelsior. I don't know. Nobody wanted that ship. <laughs> I don't know anything about publishing or anything, but I assume that there's someone at Paramount who is like the steward of of the 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 license of Star Trek and says. Like, oh, Beverly Crusher turned into an eight-tentacled mutant. And like, well, no, you don't do that because that doesn't, that doesn't fit or whatever, right? Like, there's got to be, like, somebody who says, 
you know, uh, uh, James Kirk was never Sally Kirk. Like, there's right. got to be somebody who just keeps track of what's going on. So when when the writer was saying the Bozeman Two, why was that person not on their game and saying, "Wait, no, that's not how we'd name well, ships." I'll have to. We just give them. <laughs> I don't understand. I'll have to re-listen. Um, I actually had a really long in-depth yeah. uh, conversation with Diane Carey, and she did talk a bit about you know interaction with not necessarily Paramount, but you know. The slight, I mean, there is a bit of review, but I don't think it's, I don't think they give them nearly as much restriction as you'd think. I think it's a lot more, uh, you know, it's, it's the guidelines of you can't, you know, blow up earth, you know, you can't, you know, big things, you know, you can't change you can't to the timeline. Vulcan. But... Nobody would ever do that. That is not allowed. <laughs> That'd be crazy. Who would do that? Okay. Uh, CBS slash Paramount. You can give me a very modest fee, and I will make sure that you don't rename ships anything crazy or blow up any planets that don't need to be blown up. They'll put that in the new manual that they give to the next (laughs) author. Um, But yeah, but so at the very end, you know, the story's over, and they have the last tie-in because you know why not? And we we lead right into the opening scene of First Contact. Uh, which I thought put a nice little you know bow on it as far as ending ending the scene. Well, Go to well, no, I mean, because you ha- well you had to if you're going to write this book, you have to because we all know in the beginning you hear Starship's Bozeman and Defiant, and you're like, yeah. And if you know if you're a diehard TNG like us, you're going like, well, wait, the Bozeman like that little not Miranda class that little border I don't that think that border would really cutter last with the Borg very it's like, long. Well, no, but see, I don't think it was a sovereign class because remember the Bozeman two. I'm rolling my eyes when I say that was still assigned <laughs> as the national. No one Guard, can say it. The border no patrol. Say it, uh, so I think it was a smaller. That's class true. Ship. Uh, two memory alpha <laughs> but uh anyway what were your memory, thoughts on the, the ending daniel well I, I liked it again i feel like it was seems very familiar one thread too many this, this, you, this dialogue you've, you've you've talked to the you know i, I don't want to say anything bad about the too writer, late um, no, just but saying. it just feels like it's a it's a it's a copy paste thing like oh can we copy the first five pages of, of the first contact script into this movie or this into this novel? Oh, here you go. Like it's like, uh, okay, that's fine. I, like I like because it's like says like nine months later or something like that. Right. right. Like, it's like one year it later. It, it, it jumps to twenty three seventy two, the beginning of uh, of yeah. first contact. Yeah. So uh, it's fine. I, it's not offensive in any way. I don't have a. I mean, not as offensive as Bozeman too. <laughs> no, definitely not. The line must be drawn here, <laughs> which apparently was. Although I also thought it was weird that their registry was 1941, which I'm like, really? Like, that seems a pretty important registry there. (laughs) I do have to say one thing. Knowing Starfleet and how they've treated the original Enterprise and the Defiant, I'm surprised that even though the, the original Bozeman transported 80 years in the future, as soon as they entered the nearest starbase... Uh, all of the admirals were like, by the way, we have another ship that looks exactly like your old ship, but it's a little bit better, and we're going to name it the A, is right here in Space Dock. So I'm surprised that they didn't have that, because it seems that there's always an extra ship if the ship is super important. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you have to, you know, you have to be able to, you know, you know take, uh, you know, take on 
um, you know, I don't know what the admirals are thinking. I mean, there wasn't any bad admirals in this one. I mean, I guess you could say it's the one who doesn't give the ship uh, to, you know, Picard. to Picard, but. Hanson, no. wasn't it Hanson? I mean, no, I don't know who it was. It was someone else. It wasn't Hayes, even I'm... though he was mentioned. It was someone else. Hey, it was Hanson. Admiral Hanson. Yeah, no, he died in, for, in Best yeah. Both Worlds. Are you sure it wasn't Admiral Hayes? He I was mentioned, Ad- but it wasn't him. Admiral H. Oh, okay. I think I have is just Admiral tells uh, that he doesn't get the get the ship. Mm. I don't think I'm right. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, it says Bozeman. Uh, although this doesn't say. Well, some parts say Bozeman too. Some don't. But um, <laughs> yeah, it says in the future begins. It's identified as a sovereign class, a sister ship to the Enterprise E. But in Ship of the Line, it's referred to as a destroyer. Right. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, back when I was neck deep in ship of the line stuff, I looked this up. So, yeah, it was also constructed, I think, just after the Enterprise E at uh, Starbase 12. But here nor there, you know, whatever it's called, it's got two and a in it. So I don't know. It uh, it, it doesn't. <laughs> two it doesn't plus a sense. equals Bozeman. <laughs> but so even though we've talked about it an entire length, um, do either of you guys, if you had to give it a, a scale rating, cause that's what, that's what we do here on Trek FM, uh, with, when we're talking about books. Uh, so I can give you guys a moment if you, if you need to, to think of an awesome scale. Cause I always, wait, is this any different than like ready room ratings? <laughs> I've room. never listened to literary tracks. So yeah, no, that, that's the what I was thing, thinking. Yeah. Same thing. Isn't that what they okay, do on, yeah. on I we've been on one literary track, I can't remember. Yeah, it's it's, it's just... I don't remember either. It was terrible. I remember it being terrible. <laughs> I remember Worf being remember terrible in it. <laughs> <laughs> he you was great Worf? in this one. Oh my god, yeah. Like, <laughs> <also> <laughs> he said so much. It spoke so so much. Yeah. He might have been wearing the same the same <laughs> the entire time. A Klingon being down next to him wearing a garb I had never <laughs> seen a Klingon wear. <laughs> I was just on vacation. No one gives a crap. Uh, so, <laughs> oh wait. So, but yeah. So, as we do sometimes here with books, Philip, if you had to give Ship of the Line a a rating, what would you give it? I would give it two AARs out of the five DSSs that are with the ten LYZs <laughs> to four fives. Um, a okay. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think I didn't enjoy this book that much. I did. I think. Like you have always talked about, Darren, I think Ship of the Line provides some, some gaps and it does a lot of tip of the hatch to the Star Trek history. I do think Diane kind of lets her personal experience bleed too much into this book about acronyms and ships. I'm like, eh, this isn't a, Hearts of Oak this and... isn't a cutter. You know, let's let's keep in the twenty fourth and twenty third century. So but 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 I think it does it does do a lot of fun stuff in the Star Trek universe though. And Daniel, what are your what is your scale? Uh, you know, he would have had to also learn a whole different warp scale. I mean, he'd probably constantly be saying go to warp, you know, four thinking he's going really fast, but no, what was your, what was your scale for uh, uh ship of the line, Daniel? Uh, I'm going to give it four out of, out of 13 uh, Fraser cranes. Uh, you know, it's got a lot of, there's, there's a lot of, <laughs> you look confused. I'm just. I'm. I, no, no. I'm just calculating four. You know, how many beers? Thirteen okay. divided by four. I'm like, what is? It's like, okay, it's a and the Niles. 
um it's 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 I, there's a lot of good so here point three. um and i feel like if there was more restraint in the writing like i'm not a, a literary critic at all by any stretch of the means but it's just like as a star trek fan i read this and i'm just like okay i see what you're doing you have to plug every hole and put every cameo that you can in and it it just makes me it just takes me out of it and but i do like the underlying kind of idea behind it so i just so if it was it was adapted know, let's say into an actual you know episode or even movie you know taking it another draft across the drawing board maybe and just refining it a little yeah, more yeah maybe certainly yeah if, to fill the gap if you were to to take this story and fill the gap between generations from first contact in a really meaningful way, I think you could do really cool things with it. And I would love to. Now, Daniel, you know the term now. fill the gap comes from uh, the 17th century. Fill up the gap. It's a naval it's a term. term. If you hadn't figured that out, it's anything we ever <laughs> say is a naval term. Replicator is, comes from the ancient 17th century, uh, you know, earth term Sunday. of uh, whatever. I'm not Have another Sunday. <laughs> yeah. Well, I definitely, I think I'll give it a, a three out of five, even though I talk about it probably once a week here on Trek FM. Uh, I, you know, it's just a fun read for me. I think that's the nice thing about the books in the fact that they're not canon per se. So I kind of let them slide a little more with, you know, and Scotty was there too, <laughs> because, hey, why not? You know, uh, but I have enjoyed some other ones like, you know, Indistinguishable from Magic and. <laughs> I'm, and I'm imagining the credits to this opening and it ends with, and Scotty. <laughs> <laughs> and but, uh, but, yeah, featuring James Duhan as Scotty as Scotty Captain Archer's <laughs> uncle Scotty so, with a like, beagle like, what <laughs> but, no. uh, but yeah no a, a fun read for me I I definitely enjoyed rereading it uh, for this uh, discussion uh, but Ship of the Line is not the only thing we're talking about here on Trek of M here's a quick look at what you may have missed elsewhere on the network <laughs> Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. Also, I never know whether it's pronounced Babel or Babel, so I always feel um, scared to talk about it. <laughs> that you don't want to bring it up in polite conversation. Yeah. Journey to, you know. <laughs> you know, journey to journey. Yeah. Journey to, to the to, center to, of the to earth. To the journey, yes. Earl Grey. Patrick Stewart said, look, we can have that scene where Worf explains why he's in the movie, or we can have my Mambo scene, but we can't have both. (laughs) The Orb. He just completely sells it, and he is Benjamin Sisko by this point. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Well, he better be Benjamin Sisko by this point, Matthew. There's only one episode left in the series. This is true. This is true. To the journey! And this is, I would dare even say, when he... uh, starts falling in love with Captain Janeway. This is the road that leads to the bathtub. From this point forward, he is just ever so slowly falling for her. And the monkey. Warp 5. They were just like, okay, we know this is the end, so screw it. We're just gonna do whatever the hell we want. And putting Shatner in there, it's just like, why not? Who cares? The Ready Room. Also, one other thing it reminded me of when they're in space, the escape pod that Trip and Kaitama use. Did that not look to you guys like the ship from Pigs in Space without the engines? Yes! Oh my gosh! (laughs) You're right! You're absolutely right! Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. 
there are two notes that I okay. seriously made. There were two notes that I made. Mm-hmm. One of them is, I love Riker's TV. I question what he's watching. Commentary, Trek stars. Robert Wise. If he's on the bridge of the Voyager, he's not even back at Harry Kim's station, right? He's one of the extras in the background who has to stand because he doesn't even have a chair. Literary treks. You're waiting for one of the core cast of Vanguard to show up in these books. You're going to be waiting a long time. Because as long yep. as the three of us have anything to say about it, it ain't going to happen. Continuing mission. The big thing here is I did it all for the cost of 3ds max which i bought with an educational discount so like 300 bucks i don't think you can get an educational discount on materials to build an (laughs) actual set can you axonar the official podcast when I learned the concept behind Prelude to Axnar that was going to be a History Channel style documentary, I just, I got so excited. Like, my favorite Star Trek book ever is David Goodman's Federation, the first 150 years, because I just love, uh, it's, it's a history book. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So you can check out all these shows and get in on the Daily Trek Talk. You'll find them in iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, the Windows Podcast Directory for Xbox and Zune, or you can stream from the website. Basically, you can find them anywhere. Just visit trek.fm slash pd for podcast directory to get all the links. And if you would like to contact us to share your thoughts on today's show, just go to trek.fm slash contact. From there, choose send to show and, of course, select Earl Grey. These messages will be emailed to the three of us personally. Finally, in social media, you'll find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm and on Twitter under username trek.fm. Our new listener discussion group is called The Babel Conference, found by typing The Babel Conference, of course, in the Facebook search field, so you can find us there. Please support our sponsor, Audible.com, who helps us bring Earl Grey to you each week. Audible is a great way for you to read all of the books you've always wanted to read, but never thought you'd have time for. Audible is the premier source for audiobooks with more than 150,000 titles to choose from, and new titles coming every week. From classics to current bestsellers, and even some of the most famous Star Trek books like Prime Directive, Federation, and Spock's World, Audible has something for everyone. As a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice, along with a 30-day trial to see just how great Audible is. So give it a try today, catch up on all those classic Star Trek books you've yet to read, and that latest novel from your favorite author as well. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trek.fm, and we thank Audible for supporting Earl Grey and all of Trek.fm. And lastly, there's one more way you can directly help us keep Earl Grey coming to you each week, and that is through becoming a patron of Trek.fm. By visiting www.patreon.com slash trek.fm, you can choose among various pledge levels and receive rewards for becoming a Trek.fm patron. These rewards let you inside the observation lounge of our network and make it possible for us to distribute all of our great content. So please become a Trek FM patron and visit www.patreon.com slash trekfm today. So we have two new iTunes reviews. Thank you guys again for writing those. It, it helps a lot of people find our show and, you know, the network of Trek FM. So from Gil Garcia, we have Fantastic Next Generation Podcast, five stars. This is my first Trek FM podcast since getting back into the Trek groove through other podcasts. Oh, those other podcasts. No, no. And as a main Next Generation fan, it was a great choice. The hosts are fun, easy to listen to, and very passionate about the show. 
The choices of subject are varied and thought-provoking, and while honest about their preferences are, they make all aspects of the show fun, even the generally non-popular ones. Justice! No, he doesn't say that. Uh, The humor (laughs) is the type I love for this type of show as well. I get a chuckle whenever they use obscure quotes from the show like, access your theoretical, and it surely surprised the hell out of me. (laughs) Thank you for an excellent podcast. I quickly caught up to episode 51 as of this writing and being a springboard for me to try other Trek FM podcasts like The Orb and To The Journey. To the journey. We're not doing that anymore. (laughs) To the journey. Okay. (laughs) He said it. I didn't, you know. But, so thank you, Gil. No, Garcia. that was great. That was great. We also had a bloody brilliant post by Trekkie zero one D, missing a couple letter uh, numbers well, there. No, Trekkie, be, but that's okay. No, would he be the fifth one? The <laughs> no, no. It's it's no. There's there's just no bloody A B synonymous. <laughs> but so Trekkie zero one D says. I just love this podcast. I recently started to listen from the very beginning, so I have a way to go to catch up. Hopefully, I can binge it one of these days. I enjoy that Philip, Daniel, and Darren take a look at both sides of the TNG, the good and the bad. You three are just brilliant and so entertaining. Much love to you from me. Aw. I know. I love that billing, too. That's that's appropriate. Well, I mean, with Gil Garcia, the way he's caught up so much with us, he will actually hear this comment about his uh, in the foreseeable future. That's a problem we have a lot of times with these uh, these listeners. They're starting at episode one, and we're like at fifty seven now. But so, thank you guys for these iTunes reviews. Again, like I said, it, it really helps people find it, uh, and just definitely join in the conversation uh, at the Babel conference. We'd love to to hear from you and. Uh, hear more glorious praise of our podcast that never gets old (laughs) so true so daniel if someone was interested in talking to you about your 0.03 percent rating of uh, ship of the line where would they find you uh they can find me as always on twitter um i'm at one up dan and i would love to have a conversation with you but i have lots of opinions that we didn't get to get to in this you know in this episode but uh you can find me there and philip if someone wanted to talk about just how fun it is that scotty's here how would <laughs> they reach you too. they could find me on twitter <laughs> at nc public servant that's nc for no speaking part for wharf and if someone wants to uh, discuss with me more about my favorite parts and you know just why i really enjoy this novel as as at least enough to bring it up several times over the past 50 plus episodes they can find me on twitter under username dr sci-fi that's d-r-s-e-i-f-i and you can reach all of us through facebook at the Babel conference well i think it's time to put this book uh, back on the shelf for a little while you know It'll probably be a while till our next reference. Oh, who am I kidding? I'm sure I'm going to bring it up in the the next episode. But uh, thank you guys for humoring me and, and having this great discussion about Chip of the Line. Live long and prosper. Make it so. Endgame. Fire. Fire.